I have the privilege today of introducing our guests who are with us today all the way from Africa and, and so it's a special privilege. Now they didn't just come, you know, fly straight into Monroe. They've been in the States for a little while. Uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't get that fancy. But they've been, uh, they've been touring the South for a little while and enjoying God's country, you know, down here in the Southland. And, uh, and, and before they, uh, they'll head back to Indiana for a little while and then back overseas in the fall. So uh, we're we're kind of catching them while they're on break, and it's been good to have Bobby and Jenny and their son Moore and with us this week, and they're from Cote d'Ivoire, as we've said, and we're excited to have them come and share with us again, as they did in uh, in Sunday school a few moments ago. And this, you know, they're going to focus a little bit more on their work and their partnership with Children of Promise in particular, and it's just really a neat thing to be able to hold a, a Children of Promise Sunday and be able to hear from people who, so to speak, have boots on the ground, you know, who've actually had experience on the, the uh, you know, if we do if we're the giving end, you know, then that's the maybe the receiving end, and and so it's people who've been over there with the receiving part of things and and helping distribute some of the care that that is given, and so they they've witnessed that and and been a part of that, and so we look forward to hearing from them today, and that's a special opportunity for us, and so I'll invite them to come and share with us, and and then we'll we'll have some opportunities afterwards. Good morning. Good morning. We're very happy to be with you all this morning. I'm Jenny. And I'm Bobby. We have a three-year-old son, Moore, and we have a second child on the way. I'm due in June. So we're excited about uh, the way that the Lord is uh, ex- expanding our family. <laughs> and, well, we're, we, 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 we met some of you at Sunday school, and we were able to share. Uh, but Jenny was with the kids uh, Upstairs, I think, and so it was a, a great opportunity to share during uh, Sunday school today. And we also had a few questions, and so that was that was great. Yeah, we want to thank uh, Pastor Neil and Julie for having us, and then also Zanya and Carrie for hosting us. So we've been really blessed, um, even in just the two days that we've been here, and we're really glad to share with you this morning. This morning we will share on the Children of Promise theme, Real Lives, Real Change, Real Impact, Really. And, re- <coughs> excuse me, and uh, being fishers of men. And we will focus on the passage from Luke 5, 1 to 11, in which Jesus calls disciples to be fishers of men. And you can read along with us from Luke 5, 1 to 11. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Genesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have got nothing. Yet if you say so, 
I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats. So they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. So when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is a familiar scripture passage uh, to many of us, but this morning we want to take into consideration the way that the fishermen turned disciples responded when they were called. There are a few questions that are evoked in this passage that we can ask ourselves uh, even today as we consider our own faith journeys and our call to be disciples. This passage is about lives being deeply affected, changed, and impacted. The disciples' lives were changed as they trusted the Lord, but think too about all the lives that were impacted because the disciples were willing to obey and follow Christ. So the first question that we want to ask ourselves this morning is, do we obey and follow Christ when things are not going as planned? For the disciples, they weren't getting any fish, so things weren't going as they had planned. One thing that uh, we as missionaries didn't plan on when we followed the Lord's leading to Cote d'Ivoire was the feeling of isolation on the field. After a few months of, of orientation and getting settled in Cote d'Ivoire, our colleagues, the other Church of God missionaries, there's just one other Church of God missionary unit in Cote d'Ivoire, Larry and Leanne Sellers, they returned to the U.S., to back here to the States on home assignment. And so we were looking forward a few months after uh, they left to some of our friends from language school in France, uh, the Dodsons, coming to Cote d'Ivoire. And uh, we, uh, the year before we left for Cote d'Ivoire, we spent a year in France, and we met uh, this family, the Dodsons, who are pictured here on the left. And they uh, work up in the northern part of uh, Cote d'Ivoire, in Corogo, and there's a picture here on the bottom right of one of the villages um, near Corogo. And so we were really excited about our friends coming. Um, we thought that this was going to be great to have another young uh, missionary family that was going to be in the country. And uh, we planned to spend holidays with them and celebrate birthdays with them. And there really aren't very many other mission young missionary families in Cote d'Ivoire. Bobby explained a little um, in Sunday school, I think, that... Uh, it, after the Civil War in Cote d'Ivoire, a lot of the missionary families had to evacuate, and a lot of the young families never returned. And so um, it, it kind of became a, a volatile place for a while, and so there weren't a lot of families with young children in the country. And so we spent our first Christmas in, in Cote d'Ivoire with our friends the Dodsons. But just a few months later, something that none of us had planned on happened. Their one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, she's pictured uh, there in the white shirt, she uh, fell seriously ill while in Cote d'Ivoire. 
Bobby and I were actually up in Corogo, um, staying at their house at the time because there was a national women's convention going on there for the Church of God. And it was also our first uh, meeting with Children of Promise with the location in Corogo. So there were some local um, volunteers there in the church that we were planning to uh, meet with while we were up there. And so we had gone up uh, to visit for a couple of reasons, the, the convention and the Children of Promise meeting. And we were at the Dodson's house, and uh, we were outside, and um, Colette's mom, in the, in the picture there, Jenna, and uh, her dad, they were inside, and, and Colette's mom uh, started to yell from inside, call 911, because Colette was having a seizure. And, um, and so I was thinking in my mind just quickly, where's my phone? I got to call 911. And then I realized we were in Africa. There is no 911. And so um, Colette's parents and Bobby, they rushed to the car and they, they sped to the nearest hospital. And eventually um, Colette fell pretty seriously ill. Her kidneys went into um, failure and uh, she got really sick and the family had to be evacuated from Cote d'Ivoire to France and then from France to the U.S. And uh, by the grace of God, Colette survived and she started to gain back kidney function. Uh, however, the, the medical care that's available in Cote d'Ivoire is not advanced enough to be able to keep up with her condition and to be able to, um, to help her. And so the family isn't able to return to Cote d'Ivoire at, at this time since the medical care that she needs is not available there. But that event, uh, we share that event with you because that event had a huge impact on us in several ways. I remember Bobby driving back from the Dodson's home. It was just... Uh, where they live is about five hours north uh, from where we live in Cote d'Ivoire. And uh, so right after this had happened, and uh, the day that the Dodsons were being evacuated, uh, we were driving back to, to our home. And I looked out the window, and I was thinking, God, this is not what we planned. Our friends are leaving. What's going to happen to Colette? It made us nervous for our own son, because at that point, we didn't know what she had, if it was something contagious that a lot of kids were going to get. And so I remember looking out the window and seeing villages like this one uh, in the picture and thinking, Lord, how can we stay here with our son? Um, something like this you know, could happen to him. And as I was looking out the window and, and talking to the Lord, he put this thought in my mind. What about the children in these villages? They don't have 911. Most of them don't have, their parents don't have a car to be able to get to the hospital, even if there was a hospital that was nearby. And so the Lord really started to um, continue working on my heart and um, asked me this question. <clears throat> what do these people do? when things don't go as planned? And what do we do when things don't go as planned? These are real lives. And the Lord made it clear to me in the same way that I'm concerned about my own son's life and our friend's daughter's life, that the Lord is concerned about each of the real lives of every one of these children. Colette's illness and, and the departure of our friends, they still don't totally make sense to us. But uh, we will say that we've been shaped by that experience. Through it, we're seeking to trust the Lord when things don't go as we've planned. And this experience, though it was difficult, reminded me of the real lives of children in Cote d'Ivoire and the need to reach out to them with the hope and the promise of Christ. Undoubtedly, we've all had to decide 
at some point what path we would take in our faith journeys when things haven't gone as we've, as we've planned them. As we were working with the National Church in Cote d'Ivoire to start the uh, Children of Promise program, things didn't always go as planned uh, along the way. And it has helped us to rely on the Lord even more. Some of the challenges we faced were finding volunteers who were spiritually strong, who felt called to volunteer and work with children, and who could read and write. And working with the national church leaders, we uh, were able to pinpoint two locations for the Children of Promise program to start in Cote d'Ivoire. One is in a platform, and you can see uh, an arrow pointing to that in the middle of the country. Platform is a cocoa farming village. And you can see the second location up in the north, and there's an arrow uh, pointing there, and that's Korogo. That's where um, I just told the story from, and the, the picture of, of the village is there. And so uh, we started the program with nine children sponsored in September of 2016, and we now have 20 children sponsored through the program, and it continues to grow. The growth that we've seen hasn't just been in the number of children sponsored, but even in the growth of the adult volunteers in the program. And uh, we've had many stories. We're going to tell you some of uh, the way that children's lives have been changed. But one of the surprising ways is how the Lord has been working in the lives of our adult volunteers who have really been the, the basis and foundation in helping to start the program there in Cote d'Ivoire. In this picture, you'll see a picture of myself on the left. In the middle is a woman named Minata, and on the right is a woman named Fatu. And uh, when we first had that meeting in uh, Korogo that I mentioned, uh, we had five volunteers who came who said that they were willing to help with the program. Minata and Fatu were two of those. And we said to this group, um, you know, now here's what the program is about and, and here's what we'll do. And um, we need a president and somebody who would be a good secretary and a good treasurer. And so among themselves, they were able to choose who would be a good leader, who would be a president, secretary, and treasurer. And we talked to them, and we were really excited about um, having these volunteers. And we got to the end of uh, the meeting, and Fatu, there on the, the far right in the picture, she raised her hand, and she said, um, she had been chosen as a treasurer. And she said, I just want you to know, uh, I've been chosen as a treasurer, but I don't really read and write. And so Bob and I, <laughs> oh, this is not really what we planned. What are we going to do? Um, and so we were kind of thrown for a loop. We didn't want to say, well, if you, you, know, if you can't read and write, you're not going to be able to be a part of it. But we also knew, uh, realistically, um, from, from the paperwork side of things and the administrative side of things, that there are treasure reports to fill out, accounts to keep for each of the children. It was imperative that the person who, who work as the treasurer be able to read and write and do basic math. And so uh, we kind of were stuck on what to do. <laughs> so we are sort of uh, praying and, and, you know, said just there in the meeting, what do you as the committee think that we should, should, we should do? Because we explained to them the need for reports and account keeping and all of that. And they said, well, Minata, the lady in the middle, who, who also is on the committee but did not have a, a position as an officer, she's actually a university student. And so she was quite busy with her studies, but she's uh, well-educated. And so the group proposed that Minata and Fatu work together as co-treasurers. 
And uh, uh, Fatu has more experience uh, with kids. She has three children of her own and really has a heart for children but didn't have the educational background. And uh, Minata had the educational background but just not as much, quite as much time um, to devote because of her university studies. So we uh, got in touch with the international director here in the States and we asked if that would be a possibility. And he said yes. And so we moved forward with the two of these ladies being co-treasurers together. And uh, that solution um, that, that Bobby and I may not have thought of on our own um, was a really neat way for the Lord to affirm in both of these ladies' life that uh, regardless of our background and regardless of where we've been, we have a place in the body of Christ. And it was a great affirmation um, for them and a neat thing for us to be able to see the Lord working in uh, even the lives of the adult volunteers. Fatu, uh, who had you know, said it in that meeting, she didn't read and write very well, actually went through the literacy program that the Church of God puts on, and she's now going to night school to improve her, her ability to read and write. And so it's neat to see the way that uh, even, even the adults in the program have been blessed and encouraged uh, through opportunities. These are real lives that are impacted for Christ. Real people who may not have had the same opportunities as the children that they're now trying to reach. We see the Lord changes us and we're a part of the body of Christ no matter what our background may be. Just like the fishermen in, in, Luke, in Luke 5, we've all had an experience in which things didn't go as planned. But do such experiences cause us to doubt the Lord or to rely on him more. What happened next in the story in Luke 5 tells us about these soon-to-be disciples' faith in Christ. Jesus asked them to do something that didn't make any sense to them. And this leads us to ask ourselves uh, the next question. Do we obey and follow Christ when what the Lord is telling us do to do doesn't make sense to us? So in slide, let me see. So the disciples in Luke five, uh, five, uh, four, and five. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch." Simon answered, "Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets." It didn't make any sense for the fishermen to put down their nets again. They'd been fishing all night, and uh, they had caught nothing. And so that question, do we obey and follow Christ when what the Lord is telling us to do does not make sense to us? That question is a challenge to us even today. Simon responded to that question, if you say so. It took Simon only seconds to say, if you say so. But I know for me, I found that if the Lord's directions don't make sense, it's sometimes taken me literally years to say, okay, if you say so. I resisted when the Lord first called me into cross-cultural missions as a teenager. I fought it for several years before finally accepting the call and surrendering to the Lord my own plans that I had for the future. Um, And I said, okay, Lord, even if this doesn't make sense to me, I'll do it. And it was actually at the International Youth Convention in 1996 uh, when I went forward and told the Lord that I would go wherever he led, even if it was overseas as a missionary. But those uh, times were when we say, okay, Lord, if you say so, they're not just always one point in our life. 
It can maybe be at the, the time when we're saved, but then all throughout our lives, the Lord continues to challenge us and say to us, will you obey and follow me? Sometimes those moments, they don't make sense to us. And sometimes uh, the things that don't make sense have to do with our own circumstances. Circumstances that might even be out of our own control. That was the case for Pastor Josue, one of the pastors in Cote d'Ivoire. He's pictured here with his wife and uh, their two children in Cote d'Ivoire. And Pastor Josue's story is one of real impact. This is Pastor Josue. He was a pastor of a church uh, of God in the northern part of Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, he was a pastor in a village church. And he also graduated from the uh, West African Bible Institute uh, in Côte d'Ivoire. And he was one of the top students. But then, Josué, he became ill with meningitis. And as a result, he went blind. So he couldn't pastor anymore. And it made it difficult for him to work and provide for his family. And there's no services for the blind in Côte d'Ivoire. But Josué and his family are faithful to God. And right when their son was ready to go to school, the Children of Promise program was launched in the country of Côte d'Ivoire. And his son Samuel was selected by the local committee to apply for the program. So the real impact in Pastor Josué's family's lives is only one of the example, one of the way not only children but whole families and communities are impacted for Christ through the Children of Promise program. So take a look at this video of the Children of Promise launch in Côte d'Ivoire. One thing that we'll mention here that you'll see in the video, you'll not only see Samuel, who's um, Pastor Josue's son, you'll also see another child we're going to talk about, and you're also going to see a child introduce himself. Um, these are the, the, the children who were first part of the beginning launch in Cote d'Ivoire, and his name is Sherman, and he's named after Sherman Kreitzer. And we saw your uh, batik over here in the foyer that uh, Kay and Sherman gave to the church. So keep an eye out for Samuel, Pastor Josue's son, as well as Sherman, and a little girl named Ani, who we're going to talk about in a moment.
Je m'appelle Sylvie Jean-Baptiste J'ai 10 ans. Je m'appelle Pony Guissagissizan. J'ai 7 ans. Je m'appelle Soro Kotroma Sangye. C'est pour moi une très grande joie de remercier non seulement Dieu, aussi nos donateurs qui ont permis que le programme puisse avoir lieu ici en Côte d'Ivoire. Vraiment, nous sommes vraiment dépassés. Je suis très heureux pour ce programme. Que le Seigneur nous bénisse tous. Qu'il bénisse tous les donateurs, qu'il bénisse son église en Côte d'Ivoire. Dieu nous bénisse tous au nom de Jésus. Amen. Merci. 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 Because of the faithfulness of sponsors to support children in Cote d'Ivoire, a seemingly hopeless situation for Pastor Josue and his family, as well as the children and other families you saw in the video, has given hope to them and their children. Children of Promise is currently operating in two locations in, in Cote d'Ivoire, but it's also operating in 28 other countries around the world. In Cote d'Ivoire, there's a national committee and two local committees functioning in our absence, and we're continuing to process new applications and reach out in the communities. As we turn back to the disciples in Luke 5, we see that after the Lord provided by telling them to do something that did not make sense, Jesus then asked them to do something risky, to follow him and become fishers of men. Do we obey and follow Christ when things get risky? The disciples agreed to follow Jesus, a culture-challenging transient who proclaimed himself that he had no place to lay his head. It was risky. It was risky for the disciples to leave what they had to follow Jesus, to leave what they knew and were familiar with to follow him. Many of the decisions that we face involve risk. When the Lord calls us, there's usually some type of risk involved. For me as a mom, the biggest challenge in this area is worrying about more getting sick while we're overseas. The latest technology in healthcare is not available where we're located uh, in Cote d'Ivoire. And so if a serious accident or illness came on suddenly, we'd need to drive about two and a half hours to be able to reach a hospital uh, that was a good hospital. So it's risky. But it also brings us 
to our knees in prayer, knowing that we have to rely on the Lord because we can't trust a false sense of security. But we have no choice but to trust the Lord to care for us and protect us. And he has protected us, not only from serious illnesses, but he's also made a way for us when there have been uh, possibilities of security threats. Uh, Bob's going to talk a little bit about uh, that in the country of Cote d'Ivoire, and then I'm going to share with you one more story of a, a child. So in 2015, when the country of Cote d'Ivoire was uh, getting ready for their presidential elections, we were a little worried about what the outcome uh, might be. In the past, there had been violent outbreak and around election time. But as a family, we had an evacuation plan. We planned if anything happened, we would go to Ghana, the neighboring country. But the election was peaceful. And in the past four years, there has been increased stability in the country. So around this time last year, it was in March, uh, there was the first terrorist attack in Côte d'Ivoire in recent history. So there are risks on the mission field, but there are risks everywhere. So we have to learn how to trust God in every circumstances. As uh, missionaries, as uh, residents of the U.S., a permanent resident and citizen of the U.S., we have options, we have choices, we have an evacuation plan if things get difficult. But obviously for people who live in the country, sometimes they have no place to go. And so um, that's where uh, our own call to bless others as we've been blessed comes in. And I want to share with you the story of uh, one girl who um, has been blessed as uh, Children of Promise has come to Cote d'Ivoire, but also as a local pastor, pastor and his wife have taken a risk to help her. This is Ani. You saw her in the video. She was the one who was a little bit shy. And we couldn't uh, get her to say her name or her age on the video. Uh, she's four years old, and uh, she lives up in the northern part of the country in Korogo. And um, Ani was actually born in a village that's a little outside of Korogo. But um, her father uh, left the family and wasn't providing for them, and so her mother was in charge of, of providing for her and taking care of her. But her mother fell seriously ill with an incurable disease. And so she wasn't able to uh, feed Ani. She wasn't able to even get her dressed or take care of her basic needs. And um, Ani and her mother attended the local Church of God congregation. And so they went to the pastor and said, uh, is there anything that, that can be done and, to help us? And so the, lo the local pastor and his wife, they, they didn't have a whole lot of resources. They actually have four children of their own, the pastor and his wife. But they agreed to take Ani into their home. And they said, we'll take care of her. Um, she can stay here since uh, the father wasn't in the picture and, and the mom wasn't able to take care of her. And uh, a few months after they agreed to take her into their home... Uh, we started the process of uh, starting the Children of Promise program in this location in Korogo. And so the local committee of volunteers chose Ani as one of the uh, children who could apply for the program. So she applied for the program, and, and when she applied for the program... She had um, worms, and she had malaria, and she just didn't feel well. Obviously, in her four years of life, she'd already been through a lot of transition. And uh, actually, one time when we were up in, in that area, uh, Moore, our son, 
was playing with her outside and, and she fell and she scraped up her knee and being the mother of a three-year-old boy in Africa, I always carry antiseptic and triple antibiotic ointment and, you know, um, band-aids with cartoons characters on them. And so I had these in the car and so I said, okay, just hold on a minute, I'll go get something to fix you up. So I ran and got a few things and set her up on this little step and I said, okay, I'm going to wash off your knee and I'm going to fix it up. So I put this antiseptic on. She just screamed. She thought I was like the meanest person ever. So she was kind of standoffish to us. Um, just because of the own changes that she'd been through. And we were different and new people. And uh, so when we went to get her application uh, photo, this is the photo that Bobby got. And of course the director here it says, you know, make sure you get a smiling picture of the, of the child. So Bobby's trying over and over. He's dancing around, making funny faces and trying to get her to smile and she just was you know like you saw in the video not really uh, into it and didn't really want to say her name and shy and all that um and so, you know, after after a while, uh, Bobby was finally able to get this photo. And you can see her um, smiling there. And it's just a small picture. I mean, this is just one image of, of one girl. But it was a really good image in our minds and a really good illustration of the way that the Lord brings hope and promise into the lives of children, but into all of our lives when we trust in him and when we follow and obey him. And um, just as we've talked about uh, the disciples this morning, we don't uh, go in, in, we're not in need when we start to trust the Lord because he begins to uh, bless us. And that doesn't mean that everything's easy. We still have difficulties. But there are ways that the body of Christ comes around us. And one of those ways is uh, working together. And uh, one of the ways we can bless other people is through children of promise. And so, um, in closing this morning, we want to say thank you, Cypress Street, for expanding your reach in West Monroe and all the way across the world. And uh, taking this opportunity this morning to hear about children and opportunities that we have to bless others just as we've been blessed. It takes us working together as the body of Christ, as the Lord's disciples, to make fishers of men, uh, not only here in Louisiana and uh, in West Africa, but even to the ends of the earth. Bobby put together a video that we think is a, a really neat way to see how we work together as a body of Christ and see how we are all fishers of men. He filmed this on a, uh, the coast where there's a fishing village in Cote d'Ivoire. And you'll notice in the video that all of the village is working together. The men, the women, the children, there's even a couple dogs in there who are helping to bring in the fish. And so take a quick look at uh, this video that gives us a good mental picture picture of how we all come together to be fishers of men.
We are fishers of men together. We can't fulfill the call all by ourselves. As missionaries, Bobby and I often, we get to tell the stories of what the Lord is doing in West Africa, but what the Lord has done and is still doing can't be credited to us any more than the net full of fish could be credited to the disciples. We can't do a great thing, but the Lord can as we work together in the body of Christ. So here's our question and our ongoing challenge to you and ourselves. Will we obey and follow Christ even when things don't go as planned? They don't make sense, and they're risky? Today, we focus on one way that we can answer the call as disciples, child sponsorship. There'll be an opportunity after uh, the service for you to come in the foyer, some children from all over the world that you could sponsor from uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Africa, or uh, from somewhere in Asia or Europe, uh, all different places. And so we encourage you to take a look at those and to find a way that you can uh, be a part of this ministry. God bless you and thank you.